A Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We are back actually today with something a little bit different, part two of what we're talking about in terms of protecting our children Mm -hmm. and understanding when our children might be at risk. And I'm very excited, not only obviously my beautiful co-host that I'm here with, Cecilia, but we have my dad here. (laughs) Um, So I've got to say, you came to me a little while ago and you said, we have to get my dad on the Wellness Collective. And I went, all right. Well, you're a little bit like, "Mm, do we? Because how is this wellness? But I think what's important is uh, I was having a conversation with Dad about um, child uh, sexual abusers and offenders and he was explaining to me the different types and we spoke about this in part one. So if you haven't caught up with that, go back and listen to the first part of um, this series or these two episodes. Um, But I hadn't ever thought about the fact that there were different types of offenders and that's how we got here. The other thing I was saying to Dad is that I treat a lot of women who have been sexually abused mm. and have a lot of um, trouble with their health, especially their reproductive and sexual health. So I think it's a topic that's not necessarily, you know, a favourite. Dad's been in the industry for a really long time and I couldn't think of anyone better to come in and talk to us about it in a way that hopefully isn't scary, but we just create some conversation so that we can prompt some thought around it because we don't know what we don't know. No, exactly. And the, um, the Royal Commission into Childhood Sexual Abuse was... Um on. So it's really good to be able to talk about this and to work out what we can do in our own lives, I guess, for the children in our lives. Not necessarily your own children, but others too. I mean, that's a conversation we can have too. What do we do if we suspect other kids are in so, that situation? Totally. So, Dad, you know, there are children that are more of a target. Typically, what would these kids be like? Okay. Well, in terms of preferential child molesters, um, <laughs> You know, again, having interviewed them for so many years, it's 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 very clear. I've had so many sit in front of me and just just be very proud of the fact that they could walk into a classroom, they can walk into a youth group, they can walk into anywhere where there's children, and they'll just sit back and watch for five or ten minutes, and they will openly say, um, "Him, him, him, and him." Or her, her, depending on their preference, because what they look they look for vulnerability in children. Mm. They look for children who might be maybe a little bit sort of on the being a bit of a loner, not mixing so much with other kids. They sometimes look for kids in lower socioeconomic situations so that they can buy them and give them things that they would never ever have in mm. their life as such. Uh, they look. You're talking about some of these offenders are highly skilled. We're, we're talking. We're talking in many cases professional people, um, people at, at an intellectual level, very very smart, clever people hold down professional jobs as such. Uh, so so they they know what they're looking for and they know how to go about drawing people in. The reality is that offenders go to the marketplace and the marketplace is where there are children. Mm. And then flip that. So then how would we recognise that? You know, are offenders, are there some key characteristics besides buying gifts or the story you told in the last episode, I think was great. And again, go back and listen if you haven't done that. But, you know, that was a a prime example of how there was a particular type of person, I guess. And I mean, in that story, it was actually happened to you Mm. um, in our family. But what are we looking out for? If you ask me to um, profile, give a typical profile of a preferential, I'd say 25, um, single, 
never married, uh, and still living at home. It's interesting with that. Still living at home? In some really? cases. It's interesting Ooh. that because when we do seminars and we start to unpack this, I have people come up and say, well, I think I might have a problem. <laughs> My son's 25, oh. still at uni, is at home and he won't get out. Do I have a problem? And you say, no, you don't have a problem. Let's, let's not overreact, all right? Well, that's hard these days because buying a house is really difficult. <laughs> And a lot of guys and girls yeah. are staying home until they're 30. And then, so. and then if you look at the typical, um, well, I'm, I can say this because my husband's Greek, but the typical Greek boy, <laughs> they don't move out until they get married. That's right. <laughs> I did say there are exceptions to the rule, and there are. Uh-huh. But, but what you've got to understand, well, what I'm trying to say also is that they, they are people who, and again, there are exceptions with this, but generally the preferential is much more comfortable in the company of children. Uh, like to just create situations where they want to be alone with children. They'll often come along as the pipe. We call, used to call them the Pied Pipers, you know. Kids would gravitate to them. Um, you know what? You guys haven't been out for dinner for a while. Bring the kids over. You, you, you guys go out. Have a night out. Let me look after them. They work hard on creating opportunities. And in the training that we provide for organisations right across the board, um, it's about just knowing what to be on the lookout for and in, in addition to that, what we say to people, no matter what organisation you're in, whether it, whether it's in a, a basketball club, a footy club, a soccer club, gymnastics, a church, youth group, um, whatever the case may be, if people see things that just disturb them, what you do is you take you take that to a person who's in a position of authority or leadership within that organisation. It doesn't mean that you are accusing somebody falsely. It doesn't mean you're jumping the gun, but you would be surprised when those things happen how people often say you know what, you're the fourth person that's come mm-hmm. to me this week. Something might not be right here. Then we can be vigilant, okay? Mm. We, we've, it's about this healthy... And then if we're vigilant, we're just watching. We, we're not overreacting. We're not jumping the gun. We're not trashing somebody's name out there publicly. As, a, as an organisation, we are just watching this person to see if they exhibit what we would call any more indicators or behavioural or what I call danger flags. Yeah, so yeah. I think also as a parent there's that instinct too and I think we alluded to the the idea that we can often think that, oh, it's not nice to ask the exactly. questions or, mm. you know, who am, I to, who am I to ask? I don't want to rock the boat, those mm. sorts of things. But mm. at the end of the day, you can't undo this. No, that, that's exactly right and that's why you don't take the chance. I would, not, I would not mind a dollar for every person that's come up to me after a seminar and said to me, I wish I had have listened to myself mm. in terms of their own kids. Yeah. I smelt because something. Because we know as parents yep. as well, you know, we do know. We tap you know into that. Yeah. We've yep. met people, I know that we've had people in our lives and Dad has actually said, ah, uh, can you watch that person? And Chris has <laughs> Chris has come back and said to you, I'm already aware. Yeah. Like Chris, yeah. Chris has had, and I'm none the wiser. No, I, it's not true. Um, I am. I, but I try not to overreact as well because mm. I am very, I have been subject to this my entire life. I am very aware and probably more aware than the average person just based on what Dad's done for a living and at times dad has said stuff to me and I'm like oh gosh dad please can you not like I actually sometimes ignorance is bliss having said that Mm. I know I just say that to retaliate because I don't want him to be right and I want to be right but um I'm joking um but (laughs) but, but, no you're not (laughs) (laughs) but but it's true you know I think that that there is this this awareness that we have as parents and we should never ever ever second guess that and to go with your gut to regret that I love that you said you you go with your gut because uh, I think yeah. it's a female thing quite often that um, you go with your gut instinct. So, Well, um, I, I'll share something with you. <laughs> I, I, I was in a very large conference here in Melbourne uh, about 18 months ago and we were talking about this very topic and I said, I, I want to say something to the women in the room. 
And I, I got absolutely torn to shreds for what I said. Uh, I was accused of being sexist, of being inappropriate, only by a handful of people there. Um, and and I'll, I'll say it again, because one, I'm a stubborn mongrel, and it's it's not just <laughs> it's it's not just the view; it's my experience. Yeah. And that is that uh, over my career, I tell you what, I say this to women in particular: never deny your instinct. Mm. Never. Never, because I've just seen it on too many occasions where I've had women come to me and say, I didn't listen to myself, I didn't follow through, I just thought, oh, no, that wouldn't be right. And if I had followed through and been vigilant, this may not have happened. Mm. And I'm not saying men don't have it, but there seems to be that there's that more, that just a higher level of instinct and awareness mm. uh, built, built in women. So never, so I don't see how that's sexist. I, I, don't, no, I hope you no, don't. No, um, not at all. I, I just, I no, just, we're it, into that. It, it's, it's a reality. Totally. A reality. It is funny because you know yourself, you meet someone you just go, there's something yes, not there's right something about, about person. this person. And yes. and then you sort of go away and you think, am I being unfair? I don't yeah. know what it is about them, but there's something. Yeah. Um, but I think you definitely, definitely have to mm. trust that instinct yeah. on so, many levels. Just quickly, on the um, uh, the idea that, you know, there's people in the community, wasn't there some legal situation whereby if someone is a convicted paedophile, yep. their whereabouts isn't allowed to be... Mm kind of um, disclosed, disclosed yeah. to the community. Yeah, yep. That's, that's right. So that's hard. Yeah. Look, it, it is hard and the, the reality is that... It's hard on both we, parties, I suppose. Well, we don't it? live in a society where, I mean, some people would say that if once you commit a sexual offence against a children, some people would say you should spend the rest of your life in prison. That's not the way our system works and that's not our call, so that's outside of our control. My view is, and I, I get that it would be very difficult for parents to accept that there may be a, a, a convicted preferential child molester mm. living living a few doors down from them or whatever. Um, for me, I would rather know where they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay? Um, and and so that that to me is important because it's the ones we don't know of or don't know where they are that that's the difficulty. So we just had a situation in South Australia where a judge actually disclosed the whereabouts of where a prisoner was going to live, the, the area that they were being released to, which just happened to be the area that I lived in. There oh, was, that's good because you know what to look for. Yeah, well, but there was there was a, an hysterical response from the from the hysterical response from the community, and I, I understand that from parents as such. But but this particular offender also had. He was he was a, an offender that had a lot more layers to him and was even, well, if you can say even more dangerous even more dangerous than than, than some offenders as well. But I, I, I can remember thinking to myself, well, I'd still rather know where they are because mm. because we can at least keep our kids safe and um, and 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 educate our kids around that. However, okay, if I've got kids and he's moving in next door, how would I feel about that? I might feel a bit different too, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Can they be rehabilitated though? Um, I mean, look, you talk about yeah. the ones that they don't offend till they're twenty five. Like, is it a psychological situation that can be amended or, yeah. you know, what is it? Well, the, the thing is that, I mean, some some studies show that the rates of recidivism, reoffending, some show that they're in the high 40% mm. uh, bracket, some are up in 60, some are up in 70. So there's a there's a huge difference there. My, my problem is that... Uh, that, Still on the wrong side of fifty. Well, ab- ab- absolutely, <laughs> and and the problem is that if you're dealing with a preferential child molester who absolutely lives by the honest view that they are not doing anything wrong, mm. if they hold that absolute view, where is the motivation to change? Yeah, that's the problem. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've got. Um, I can use one example. I'll, I'll use the word Bob. It's not his real name, but but Bob was an offender. Classic example. Uh, started offending at the age twenty-two when we actually found him. 
at 65. Oh, gosh. We've, he'd been offending nonstop from the age of 22 to 65. If Bob was in this studio now and mic'd up, he would have no problem sitting here saying, um, I cannot promise you that I won't do it again. In fact, I can probably promise you I will. He is a true preferential child molester. Uh, mm. No motivation to change, no knowledge of what he's doing wrong. He would argue that it's beautiful, it's warm, it's love. The victims kept coming back. Well, yeah, the victims kept coming back because you were blackmailing them, you were mm. bribing them and you were threatening. That's why they came back. They don't see that. Wow. So we do need to take a short break, but after we come back, I'd love to start to talk about some of the um, things that we see in children that have been abused. So Mm. switch it around a little bit and talk about the long-term effects of that. So we'll be back after this. Okay. In this episode of The Wellness Collective, it's part two, really, of this um, subject because it's big. Um, we're with Carl Collins, who happens to be Nat Kringudis' dad. Yeah, plus he's free, so we can get him for two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. You I think we it. need to talk about this. I'm, I'm passionate because I've grown up with this, mm. but I don't think a lot of people have. And no, and as, a lot I think of people don't know we, about it. As I spend more and more time as my children are in school for longer and I watch what other parents do, I think that this information, it's not about telling someone what to do, it's just serving up some facts so we can make some educated choices. Absolutely. Okay, so we need to ask you, Carl, about um, if someone has been abused, what we look for? What are the signs? Because often we don't know as parents, right? We, well, we no, that's know. right. No. And, and then, of course, you can act. When we know our children, that places us in a position to notice change mm. because we know something of our children. We know their character. We know their personality. So so if all of a sudden our kids, um, you know, they, they shut down. They, they just become passive. They become withdrawn. There's there's behavioural changes where, that, that are not just the normal part of growing up, but things yeah, that how do you really... differentiate well, that? Well, and, and that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> that's a because, challenge because they do get to an age well, where they start to... Mm. Uh, Olivia, at the moment, if yeah. you're saying these things, I'm like, um... Yeah, yeah. But, you know. I know, but because... Well, that's the point. There are normal stages of development, but what we've got to look at is what's outside of the norm around the, you know, all of a sudden grades are going down, the things that were really important to them, you know, footy, soccer, netball, but whatever it is, right into all of a sudden not could interested anymore. Could it also anymore. be they don't want to go somewhere that the that person that is? Person. That so could like be. gymnastics. That's it, say. absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to go to gymnastics yeah. anymore and it's mm. constant. There's all of those sorts of things. Mm. But even, you know, but then we look at today, look at teenagers in particular, um, withdrawn, passive. We've got a generation now that are locked behind doors on, on, on mm. the internet, you know, mm. and locked away in their bedrooms. That's another story for another time oh, I was going to say, I think that's another episode. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but you've got that. But So we don't jump the gun, but we also look at, um, you know, if we talk about passive, withdrawn, shutting down, in terms of normal patterns of behaviour, we've got to be careful and not overreact because I'll give you an example and there's some interesting research just come out of the UK on, on this. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to have a good look at it yet, but they've done research as to why boys, when they hit around 15 years of age, basically don't talk for two years. Mm-hmm. They grunt. <laughs> they do. Okay. And what's the solution? So, so, so the thing in that is what I'm saying is they've actually found that's actually a normal part of behaviour. So let's not jump the gun and think, you know, we've got a 15-year-old that, how are you doing today? Hmm. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> you know, that, don't knock it. That's still some form of communication. So what I'm saying, that's normal. I think you know, maybe if I can, as as a father of two girls, I've used an example with boys, I'll use girls, um, a normal pattern of behaviour. Um, I thought that there were times as a father when Natalie and Holly were growing up and they were changing physically and emotionally from little girls into young ladies. I thought there were times I was going to die. <laughs> 
I was the one in need of protection. I'm serious. Uh, like, throwing hairbrushes. I, I can remember Natalie walking downstairs for breakfast one morning and about 15, I said, good morning, Nat, how are you? And she broke into tears and said, you don't have to talk to me. Like, I'm thinking, what have I done? <laughs> so, so you know what I'm saying. Of course. There, there totally. are more. But I also remember if I can cut you off, sorry, Dad, yeah. but I remember one day I'd said to you just randomly, I'm like, Geordie wet the bed last night. Yeah. And your, first, your yeah. first question was, where has he been? And I was like, what do you mean, where's he been? Mm. And that was obviously a, a can be a a change and yep, a, I guess it's an area where it's a private private part of your body that yep. would be, yeah, yep. you know, yep. compromised in these situations. Yep. And I remember thinking, oh, Dad, seriously? But I guess if it just started happening out of the blue, that's a really key mm, mm. sign. It, yeah? well, it's, a, it's a change. It's, a, yeah. it, it's not as if there's an ongoing issue here that may have been triggered by something else sometime. But this this is something that's a sudden, unexplained shift of behaviour. So so again, you monitor it. You don't overreact, but you monitor it. It can be mm. that and, and, and all sorts of things. And you said before, all of a sudden refusing to going somewhere. They don't want to go there. They're clingy. They're sad. They're crying all the time. Um, um, they, these are all what we call them indicators. And one indicator on its own or Isn't, two or yes. three may not need, mean anything sure. but when you get a cluster you think mm, okay what's going on here and but see the thing is too for the unaware child I guess the grooming process is very different from when there's a child has actually been abused yeah. um, but I wonder if there you know if we what we're watching if there would be changes even with I guess not maybe Holly didn't show any different no well, nothing changed in the time no. that she was being groomed no. and luckily enough she never was abused, she was never abused. so yeah, yeah I guess it would be a different conversation but yeah. um, definitely you know I think looking out for these changes can be a something just to investigate again we don't have to jump the gun you know on what it. else look into it. I think actually listening to your kids Absolutely. if they come and they say I don't like the guy who lives down the road because when I was at their house he did X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I think if you um, actually take that on board and don't just go and don't dismiss it Absolutely. and say to them, well, if you don't want to go to their house, you don't have to, mm. yeah. you know. Of course. And I think we are generally a little bit more aware than maybe what our, you know, parents But I think my, a lot of kids are were. dismissed when they do come. I mean, a lot of what they say is cods will look, let's face it. Sometimes <laughs> they're like, do you... Don't worry about that. You'll be fine. You know, yes. such and such said this to me at school and what have you. Mm. But if it's things like that and it involves adults, I'm always a bit like, you know. Yep. So, Dave, can we talk about some of the long-term implications of abuse, mm. you know, um, what you've seen and, and just to allow us to sort of, and yep. then what do we do, yep. you know? Well, look, the, the long term, the long term, and look, depending depending on the level of trauma a young person may experience, can, can you know, it, it it can lead it can lead to all sorts of outcomes. It, it can, you know, obviously learning difficulties, um, antisocial behaviour. It can certainly lead to alcohol, drug abuse, and addiction as such. Uh, and and depending on that level of trauma, it can also, in some cases, lead to a point where, and I've seen this on so many occasions, um, where young people grow up and they are so traumatised by what they've experienced. It, it actually, I'm not a psychologist, I'm just telling you what I've seen, um, but but they, they can often come to a point where they lose the ability to emotionally connect with another human being. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've heard the saying, the lights are on but nobody's home. Mm-hmm. That, that's usually said in a sarcastic, well, I'm not saying it in a sarcastic way, it's actually can be it. Yeah. But the people have been robbed from their emotions, from their, their soul, uh, and, and that, that's a problem. And obviously there's self-harming 
mm. uh, is is quite evident as well. And and the the on one of the major impacts, the ongoing lingering effect, is that because of grooming processes, because the way the abuses often occurred, is that. Um, people still grow up with an unshakable view that they are, if not partly, fully to blame mm. for allowing this to happen. And uh, they're obviously not. And they're, they're, they're definitely not. Um, they are they are young people and they are victims of, of abuse. And, and look, offenders are very cunning in that. Uh, if, again, if we're talking about preferential offenders, the, the grooming process, because they, they often want their victims to feel a degree of responsibility and ownership and they're very clever on how they do that because if a victim feels that uh, as a child, what are they most likely not to do? Tell anybody, Say something, talk yeah. about it, because they've it's been drummed in. You, this is your fault. Um, you know, we also need to understand. I'll backtrack and diverse a little bit, but but offenders use techniques to continue to be able to abuse their victims and 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 lower their inhibitions as well. And, and some manipulate of the, well, them. some of the houses we've been into, you know, if you've got a, you go into an offender's house uh, and um, their preference are, are children that are probably under ten years of age, their house will be set up like a playground. Mm. They are. They are there. This this kid's going to just love coming to this place. If they're if they're into older kids and younger to mid teenagers, they'll 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 have a they'll have their swimming pool. They'll have their pool table. They'll have beers in the fridge to say, you know, you're not allowed to do this at home. But you know what? Go and have a couple of beers. Mum and dad, they don't need to know. And if you've had a good time today, make sure you bring your mates back next mm. week. Then they also another reason why children don't talk and this this is all to do with the ongoing lingering effect on a victim because the abuse is it's it's over a period of time they you know we, we look at child pornography they'll they'll either overtly or covertly film their activities with children and they do that for a number of reasons one is that they can sell it or share it with like-minded people if they're sharing it with like-minded people it sort of justifies what they're doing because they're thinking well I'm not the only one that does mm. this so mm. it, it must be okay but the other reasons they use it is that they show it to their victims and with little kids, they say, look, that's you and I. Um, if you tell anybody about this, I'm going to show it to mum and dad. And with teenagers, if you show anybody, tell anybody about this, I'm going to post this online. So that's how the abuse and that's how the abuse goes on and on and on. And the longer it goes on, the longer term the effects are for for the I victims. I think that the the reality of that and what you're saying, especially for I'm sure that we've got people listening that have been subject to abuse and and you know whilst we've at times had a giggle, it's not a it's no laughing matter, no. and we understand that and appreciate no. that it's 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 ongoing. Yeah. But you know at the time, especially or any time really. If you're if you're in a situation where you're being you're being placed in a vulnerable situation, it's definitely not your fault. No, and no. and even you know, I'm sure people would be thinking now as adults, if I only had said something, but that was never going to happen because no. as a child, that's just not what no. you do, and you did obviously probably coped the best you can under the circumstances. Yep. So you know, I think really getting the support and help you need, no matter what age or stage, mm. that because often we suppress it for quite a long time, and then it comes out as an adult, or it comes out and we yep. see it's. Mm. You know, I see that in the clinic that people have lived 20 years, suppressed that, and for whatever reason, having children or trying to have children or even watching your own children grow up, it, it brings up those emotions again. So getting the right support and care that is needed is really important. Yep. Well, to give you an idea, the Anglican Church, probably around four years ago, they did a survey that looked at um, people who had been abused within the Anglican Church and the the amount of time... Um, that a disclose from the abuse occurring to a disclosure being made was 
22 years. Yeah, right. And the Royal Commission came out finding it 23 across the board, mm. Um, mm. Which, which is which is interesting. Um, totally. So you, know, you think so, about yeah. if you're a child, well, obviously you're a child and when the abuse occurs, 22 years later you're in your 30s mm. or 40s. Yep. So that's your mm. whole youth. Yep. That you've carried that. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Really could, could I just say though, and it's important that we do say this to anybody who may be listening who is a, is a I won't say victim, a, a survivor, survivor. of, of mm-hmm. abuse, and that is that no matter where I speak in Australia or outside of Australia, no matter where, whether it's in a, a, a boardroom with um, six people doing some very advanced training or in an auditorium with 300 people doing a general child protection seminar, I have never, ever not had people come to me and tell me about their abusive mm. sexual abuse in their background, their, their, their history. That highlights the magnitude of the problem. Mm. However, having seen things that I've seen that I'll never erase from my memory and hearing those stories, the good news is that I also hear the incredible stories from people who come up and say, this is what's happened, this is how tough it's been, but this is where I'm at today and life is good and I'm good. Mm. And it's important that I say that because anybody who may listen to this who might be thinking, well, you know what, Carl, that's really good for those people, but Mm. that's not my experience. I would just want to say, no matter how impossible it may feel, recognising how impossible it may feel, the good news is that it is possible because we hear the testimonies. So I would just urge anybody in that space to never, ever give up because as hard as what it is, and I'm not, I'm not minimising it, I recognise as mm. hard as what it probably is mm. or is, not to give up because it is possible. There's always someone there to talk to. There's always another avenue to pursue in order to get there. And Do you know what the best um, port of call is, first point of call, if you are looking for some support? Look, there's lots of organisations out there. There's a lot of people now who are, who are specialising in this particular field. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's psychologists out there, but I would be looking for psychologists who are, who are highly experienced in this particular area. Mm, so maybe uh, a GP might be the first port of call. Um, either that or just there's a lot of psychologists you can go straight mm. to. Um, okay. I put some, um, some contacts in the show notes of who I refer to in the clinic. I think yep. that um, there's, I mean, we all recover uh, in various different ways. So it's going to be what appeals to somebody. But I think really changing the belief around, um, you know, what you believed as a child is not what we have to believe as an adult because it's two very different mindsets, Mm. yet we get stuck in that that belief that we need to change. So Mm. um, we can put definitely those in the show notes. And again, also just part of the reason why I created the Wellness Collective was because we don't talk about things. And really, again, you know, the Wellness Collective, the the actual membership is a place where people come and we support each other. Mm. Um, And you don't need to necessarily reveal what it is, but I think by talking about it, you know, and more openly talking about our experiences, we find that we're not alone, that there are other people that Mm. that have been subject to the same mm. um, situation mm. and that we're not certainly not making light of that, but we've all got, mm. you know, well, that's these right. things Everyone's that we carry. Their, their... Absolutely. So with that, we are out of time, but Dad, thank you so much for taking the time to come in. And, Can I say and, one more thing? Yeah, Sorry, you can cut that if you need to, no. but, but just for parents to finish up on, in terms of your kids, not, you know what, not only the schools I go to, we know the education department's got things in place for training, but I would even be questioning what that looks like as a parent, but sporting clubs, dance clubs, etc. ask those organisations what they have in place for the protection of children because there are still 
there are still many organisations that are not up to standard. Mm. And if they are not up to standard, that means they are vulnerable. And if they are vulnerable, your kids are vulnerable. Ask them what they do and make sure that they are doing the right things, the things that they need to be doing, because that's not that's no longer negotiable. So mm. as a parent, never, ever hesitate to ask those questions. That's good. Yep. Does anyone check that? Look, there's, there's the, the states have got different systems and processes and legislation in mm. place, um, and uh, there are there are definite requirements now where compliance must be obtained. Uh, but you know, um, yeah, I, people I, can slip through the cracks. Absolutely, sure. you need to ask them. You need to hold organisations accountable so they're doing the right thing. Hey, it's interesting. I did tell some people that we were going to cover this as a topic, and they were like, "But the Wellness Collective is all kind of light and fluffy. <laughs> How's it going to work?" But I think it's really important that we talk about this stuff. And well, I think what this is, this type of information actually is doing is paving a way for a healthier future. So mm. I don't see why it's, um, again, why would we push something under the carpet that's important to talk about? Oh, absolutely. And mm. like you've said, that, you know, it can affect people and it does affect people for their entire life. So um, Prevention. Absolutely. Hey, um, if this has resonated with you and you would like some more information, there are some places that you can go. Um, you can, yeah, you, you can get onto, I was going to say Carl, which sounds so I know, dad's I was going to say your dad. And dad's website is childprotectionsolutions.com.au. So childprotectionsolutions.com.au. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, another one that you can go to is the Centre Against Sexual Assault, which is casa.org.au. So casa.org.au. Until next time, we hope you have enjoyed these episodes. They um, they have been a bit of a, you know, step to the side, but it's been really good. And next episode, we'll be bringing you something probably, I don't know, a little bit more holiday-themed. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Until then, we hope this episode has left you feeling happier, happier healthier and better. Mm-hmm.